This episode is sponsored by yet another great company that I use and endorse, and that is Bubs Naturals. Now, they are offering you guys a discount on your first purchase with them, and I will get to that in a moment, but I really want to tell you the history of Bubs. Bubs was a call sign of Glenn Doherty, one of the courageous Navy SEALs that died in Benghazi, and his best friend, Sean Lake, co-founded Bubs Naturals not only to bring wellness solutions to the community, but to take 10% of the profits and donate to charities in Glenn's name. So I first came across their collagen through Jeff Nichols and had no preconceived notions or biases, but I started to witness in myself, my nails grow faster, my hair get thicker and longer, my skin, I've got very dry skin and it usually cracks in the winter, that has not happened this year. My joints, the aching, the kind of inflammation has definitely subsided. And then what really blew me away was actually my gut health. I saw that improve. And when you think about the gut is 80% of your immune system, that is incredibly pertinent. They have the apple cider vinegar gummies. I also take those. And then the MCT oil in a powder form has allowed me to put creamer back in my coffee after swearing off dairy for years. But when I have this creamer, it's adding energy, it's adding mental focus, so yet it's another supplement. Now, as far as efficacy, they're the only collagen that is 100% NSF for sports certified and Whole30 approved. So as I mentioned, the discount code. They are offering you 20% off a one-time purchase by using the code SHIELD at bubsnaturals.com. And if you want to hear the full story behind Bubs Naturals, and the courage of Glenn Doherty. Listen to my interview with Glenn's best friend and Bub's co-founder, Sean Lake, on episode 558 of the Behind the Shield podcast. This episode is sponsored by 511, a company that I've used for well over a decade and continue to use to this day. And 511 is offering you guys, the audience of the Behind the Shield podcast, a discount on every purchase you make with them. Before we get to that code, I want to highlight a couple of products that, again, I personally use today. One of the most impressive products they just released is their Rush Backpack 2.0. Now, for many of you, whether you're going to the fire station, the police station, whether you're traveling with your family, whether you're taking training courses, we have to fly, we have to drive, we have to take trains. And I have to say, I own multiple backpacks, many of uh, 5.11's different ones, but as far as a day pack, this one was the most impressive. There are so many different compartments. The way it sits on your back is incredibly comfortable. If you are a concealed carry person, there's also a spot for a weapon. So they've thought of multiple, multiple things that a man or woman would have to do on a daily basis. That is in addition to all of the products that I talk about a lot. Their uniforms fit for men or fit for women in the first responder professions. The footwear that they offer, whether it's the Norris sneaker or the Atlas system that is designed for foot health and therefore knees and back and hips and shoulders and neck. As a civilian, I live in a lot of their clothes as well. Their jeans stretch. You can actually squat down in them. We live in Florida here, so I wear a lot of their shorts, which again, very, very lightweight material. You can get it wet and it will dry almost immediately. And then moving to the fitness and tactical space, I used to have just a regular weight vest. Recently, I switched to a 511 vest and actually bought ballistic plates as well. My thinking was simply, if I'm going to have a vest, why not have one that protects me as well? And that TAC vest is trusted by law enforcement all around the country. So I mentioned they were going to offer you a discount code. So if you go to 511tactical.com and enter the code SHIELD15, S-H-I-E-L-D-1-5, You'll get 15% off, not just that one purchase, but every time you visit their store. 
And if you want to learn more about 5.11, their mission, their products, then listen to episode 338 of the Behind the Shield podcast with the CEO and founder, Francisco Morales. This episode is brought to you by Thorne, the industry leader in nutritional solutions. Now, Thorne is actually trusted by eight U.S. national teams and championship teams in the NFL, NBA, and Major League, as well as recently becoming the official sports performance nutrition partner of the UFC. So when it comes to supplements, the tactical athlete space and the athletic space need two things. We need efficacy, meaning the products do what they say they're going to do on the label and then we need to trust the fact that we are not going to fail either athletic drug tests or work-related drug tests. Now Thorne has actually been around since the 1980s where they were used by physicians and hospitals for nutritional supplements for the patients. They were so successful that athletic teams and even special operations teams reached out to them and they started supplying them as well. Very recently, they actually opened their doors to the general public. Now, what sets Thorne apart is they manufacture their own products in a state-of-the-art NSF-certified facility in South Carolina. They use only the purest possible ingredients formulated with no stearates or arbitrary fillers in the cleanest manufacturing process. Most of you listening come from a profession where it can take its toll physically and mentally, and many of us are not able to bolster our nutrition purely with the food that we eat. And that's where supplementation comes in. So if you're ready to maximize your health and performance, visit thorn.com, T-H-O-R-N-E.com. Take a short product quiz to be paired up with the perfect health and fitness supplements. And for you, the audience, if you use the code BTS10, behind the shield 10, BTS10, you will get 10% off your first order. And if you want to learn even more about Thorne, go to episode 323 of Behind the Shield podcast and you will hear my interview with Wes Barnett and Joel Totoro from Thorne. Welcome to the Behind the Shield podcast. As always, my name is James Gearing and this week it is my absolute honor to welcome on the show Dr. Kelly Starrett. Now, Kelly is well known in the CrossFit space as a physical therapist and the author of the Supple Leopard books, but also has worked with multiple tactical athlete communities. So we discuss a host of topics from the importance of hydration, sleep, the aging athlete, overcoming injuries, pushing the wellness needle in our schools, and so much more. Before we get to this amazing conversation, as I say every week, please just take a moment, go to whichever app you listen to this on, subscribe to the show, leave feedback, and leave a rating. Every five-star rating truly does elevate this podcast, making it easier for others to find. And this is a free library of well over 600 episodes now. So all I ask in return is that you help share these incredible men and women's stories so we can get them to every single person on planet Earth that needs to hear them. So with that being said, I introduce to you Dr. Kelly Starrett. Enjoy. Kelly, I want to start by saying thank you so much for taking the time to come on the Behind the Shield podcast today. Absolute pleasure to nerd out with the nerdiest. So speaking of the nerdiest, we met for, I think it was maybe 17 seconds at Sandlot Jacks. Um, so 
as an icebreaker, talk to me about your perception coming from the wellness world of the last couple of years and what Sandlot Jacks meant to you. Well, I'll tell you, uh, put it this way. One of the things, a feature of any system is that it uh, moves towards uh, aggregation, agglomeration. And so, well, if you look at the beginning of our fitness community, really going back to like um, George Hebert of MoveNet, really was, and he defined fitness as being useful. How's that for a, a definition? Like, well, how useful are you to community? Not, do you look good? Did you win Instagram with your abs for this on Tuesday and no, back in November? And I think it's notable that some of the skills that he set up and this, the tasks were really like, can you run? Can you swim? Can you climb? You know, can you jump? And it really comes back to sort of the tennis track and field, believe it or not. So fast forward now, here we are with the internet, and it is a complicated place. The number of tools I have at my disposal, no, I'm a mace guy, I'm a kettlebell guy, a barbell, a power lift, you know, I do this thing. You see really it's the natural sort of, I think, penchant of people to become tribes that have an affinity towards something and then thinking that your affinity, you know, is the best. And of course, that's super ego driven, especially if, it's all about you on Instagram, showing your abs, right? Talking about you, how rad you are, talking down to other people. I mean, that's just, you know, the opposite of what we're trying to do, which is really subjugate the ego, learn skills, be in a community so that we can actually transfer why we train to something that means something. So you fast forward to Sandlot Jacks and here's the magic of, of rucking is we're like, you know, really what you should do is you should carry this heavy thing around like humans have been doing forever. And it's super accessible. You don't need any equipment, but you just need to move your body and also come along and hang out with people who like to do the same thing and all shapes and sizes. Um, the Go Ruck community is really remarkable that way in terms of you walked around Sandlot Jacks, for example, um, you would see lots of colors of skin and lots of body types because it turns out there is something essential about the elementism or the the simplicity, there's something elegant in, hey, I can use my body weight and I can carry this thing and, and actually become useful again to myself in a way that really transforms or, or transcends going to the gym and getting sucked up into that, up the face of that horrific gym culture. It's pretty awful. I think we're starting to see a just new study today said that maybe people are shifting their drive to lose weight from, do I want to look better to, do I want to feel better for my health? And I think ultimately the next step will be, can I make the psychological link to say that this movement practice that I'm in, whatever that looks like, and we can argue about which one is more effective or less effective for doing whatever the task is. Is it complete or do you have holes in there? That's easy. You know, are you playing the game like you're going to be 100 years old because this loading is required for a human being to feel good? to have less pain, to have resilient feet, to have a tendon that doesn't fail suddenly when you sprint for a basketball. And I think what's happened is that we have separated movement or exercise. We've said, hey, this isn't part of the sort of the requisite daily task of being a human. And you have to move every day, not 30 minutes on your Peloton. That's not what we're talking about at all. So 
what we're seeing right now is the expression of a lot of artifacts in, in uh, we call it artifacts of scholarship sometimes when people argue about the minutia and the details of, of science and the rigor of, you know, my Kung Fu is better than your Kung Fu, when really we should be asking ourselves, what's essential for the human being? Do I feel safe? Do I feel loved? Do I get sunshine? Um, do I feel like I have meaning in the relationships to my community, the relationships to the people around me? And then also, did I load and did I breathe hard? And the ways that would in which we can begin to program that, which don't disrupt our lives or don't make it so that I end up with a fetishization or um, an addiction or I'm using this to you know, meet myself needs instead of I better walk because that's what human beings do. And walking gets me a life of freedom, a life of you know, community, a life of connection to my environment. That's really what I saw at San Jacks. So prior to that, one of the, the things that's been my narrative the last couple of years is you know, where, where's the discussion on improving underlying health? And as a firefighter paramedic, you know, we get a very unique lens of what our nation's health really looks like. You know, you, we have corpses with giant bags of meds that we see every single day. Um, so, you know, there's been a lot of discussions on that abandonment, but I heard you in a conversation, I think it was with the Align Pod, <coughs> excuse me, the Align podcast. And you had a unusual lens as well that I haven't really heard discussed much, which is what are we doing on the fitness side that's failing, inspiring these men and women to get out and, and, and reclaim their own health? Well, I think you really bring this point up. Look, E.O. Wilson um, just passed recently, but he has this idea that the idea of science is to transform humanity. So that's really the highest calling of science. The, so if, by extension, the highest calling of fitness is to transform community and transform society. And we have not done that. So I think that's the case is that those people who are lucky enough to have come from a movement tradition or an eating tradition or have found a community that also values these things and makes that a community value. Look, I'm reading this book right now called um, Sand Talk. It's by Tyler Yunkaporta, who's an indigenous Australian person. And it's about using sort of indigenous ways of thinking to solve sort of modern calamities <clears throat> around society and relationships. And, and um, you know, one of the things in there that he talks about regularly is, you know, being connected to a community and understanding the roots of that community and, and the values of that community. And the problem is that many of us come from a community that are very disconnected as a community. Do you know your neighbors? Do you break bread with your neighbors? I'm talking about the person next door to you. Like, you know, we have neighbors we have tricky relationships with because they didn't like a fence we built, you know, in our side of the yard. And so if that's that's the level of pettiness, you know, the rest of our neighbors, like we we hang out together, we see each other, we high five, we say hello. It's crucial that you come from a community or a society theoretically that values the health and wellness of the society. <clears throat> Those things are our common values. If your children's school doesn't put an emphasis on teaching your kids how to eat, you don't teach your kids how to eat and what food looks like, then we will solve that problem one way or the other, which is the way humans always have. <clears throat> if uh, 
the alternatives to eating food is to eat crap, then eating crap will win every time because it's easier and fun and it's cheap and makes me feel good for a second. So we have to understand that people are coming from a place. Everyone comes from a tradition. Some of us have richer traditions. Some of us um, have historic relationships where our, <clears throat> we remember sitting around the, the table because that's what we did, that everyone was committed to food and feeding and times of reflection. You know, maybe you came from a spiritual community where that's, that sort of thing happened. But what I was talking about with, with Aaron is that if you <clears throat> applied a, a filter and just said, well, let's just judge it right now. Are we fat? Are we not fat? Are we di- you know, obese? Are we not obese? Are we diabetic? Choose something you care about. ACL injury rates, low back pain, ACL surgeries. I mean, just, I mean it just doesn't matter what, what metric you are. You can say as well, we really have, we're not fulfilling the promise of, of community and society. And I really think that it's an issue of community. It's an issue of neighborhoods. It's an issue of streets. That's the level of specificity. And we are reaching into the internet, looking for that connection, looking for that tribal association, but you really need to invite the neighbors over to deadlift in your side yard and have a barbie. I mean, that's really the goal, I think, ultimately what's going on. And realizing, you know, I think um, um, Lane Norton just put up a post that my wife and I were talking about at home because one of our models of the ready state has been, you know, don't be heroic, be consistent. And then Lane picked that up and went a step further. He's like, you know, no, no, it's not consistent for six weeks or six months. It's talking about a decade. Like you don't understand how long you need consistency. And the reason that matters, the reason it has to be baked into our cultural selves, our community identity, our family identity, is that you're missing out on a lot if you're afraid to move. You're missing out on a lot if you can't move. You're missing out on a lot if... And when you retire in your 60s and you can't hike and walk and play after a lifetime of servitude and work, you're missing out on a life that's not lived to its fullest, where you get to experience travel and play and getting up and down off the ground and, and not fear. And, and I think that's really what's the problem. And I'm not even talking about potential diseases, downside issues that we're seeing. So, um, you know, I, I think... The problem with human beings is that we are imminently durable and resilient and tolerant, which means you can, you know, you can, uh, who is it? The, um, the, the runner from the, the unbroken, uh, Zamparelli, um, he ran like a four minute mile and then 403 and then got caught in a you know, shot down in a raft in a Japanese concentration cap and ran, came back and ran a 404 after shattering his ankle. So if you can take that person and subject that person to the gnarliest situations on planet, he had PTSD, et cetera, et cetera. He starved, he, you know, malnourished, comma, comes back, runs a 404, tells me the innate durability and resilience and tolerance we have in the system, but we confuse those things for, I can eat pizza whenever I want. I don't have to sleep. I don't have to walk. I don't have to get sunshine. And I don't have to know my neighbors. That's the problem. Well, I think taking what you said as well is very few people say, if you change the way you move, if you change the amount of sleep you get, if you change the way you eat, you can't, your body will go back to where 
it's it's the healthiest version as possible. Obviously, if you're way way down that rabbit hole and you're a thousand pounds, you're going to have a hell of a journey back. But you know, the way that I see in the medical world, so many people told is, oh, you have hypertension. So here's here's your lifetime supply of hypertensive meds versus, hey, at the moment you have these, maybe we'll keep you on these for a little bit so you don't stroke out. But here's all the literature that shows if you move and eat differently you can actually go back to never needing these pills again. And that's a discussion I don't see you know, in the medical community or just in, in general. And I think sadly, because there's no money to be made in those kind of practices. Yeah, you, you bring, that's an excellent point. Um, and I want to not excuse our medical community because let's say that our medical community are the people who has the finger in the dike. Why is it the doctor's responsibility? She has six to eight minutes to see you, understand your lifestyle, understand your movement history, understand everything about you. And you come in with a car that's on fire. Your, your body is you know, expressing error signals and you wrecked your physiology because you didn't know that. Remember, I'm not blaming you. I'm saying you're a product of the environment in which you, you grew up in. You, you know, if, if, if this isn't effortless, if this isn't baked in, you know, I, I get up and make my kids breakfast every day because I know that they're going to, you know, go out the door having eating protein, having had an emergency, having a fish oil pill, having had collagen, you know I mean? I make my daughter my 13-year-old hates fruits and vegetables. She hates them, but she'll drink a fruit smoothie, a fresh fruit smoothie with a little yogurt. So I make one for her every day. Why? Because she now is identified. I can drink that and it tastes good. And while she's getting ready for school, you know, and then I feed her a protein and out the door. But rinse, wash, repeat that. And all of a sudden I'm seeing my 17-year-old get up and, you know, she has a piece of sourdough and, and, and some fruit or sometimes she makes vegetables and a couple eggs. And she's like, yeah, I just, you know, not feeling it today. So I'm just going to eat this. And I'm like, well, kid, if everyone ate that every single day for the rest of their lives, they'd kill it. Which means that it takes a minute to set up these behaviors and patterns. So by the time you've seen your physician, your physician has one choice, which is this gigantic for-profit medical system, which is its own issues. But we're looking at that as a life preserver. And then we lay the blame on them when the blame is kids aren't encouraged to move in school, that they can sell sodas at school, that you know, there's a, a gallon of Coke is cheaper than a gallon of milk. So as long as we continue to set up society in a way that we shouldn't be surprised at what we get. And the physician doesn't have many tools because she isn't actually the care provider. She's the emergency responder. So one of the things that we're, for example, for Juliet and I right now is we feel this, you know, on, we get to focus just on musculoskeletal health, which is great. And we don't necessarily have to work on liver and all these other things, right? I don't have to worry what your blood pressure is. Um, but what I get to worry about is, hey, there are all of these environmental pieces that you seem to be missing or lacking around your movement health. And we know that when we improve the tissue quality, those things get better. When we improve your circulation, those things get better. So Julie and I have just wrapped a book. We'll be out April 4th. It's called Built to Move. And it's all about these environmental health behaviors. And it's designed not, I mean, it's designed for athletes to give to their aunts and uncles and cousins and friends. It's designed people from our community to say, hey, I know it feels overwhelming and it seems like I'm a maniac, but start here. It's designed for a physician to say, here's how we're going to get your blood pressure under control. Because the problem is there isn't that, that next communication. It's difficult to do that in TikTok in 15 seconds. It's difficult to 
get people to understand how all of these behaviors tightly couple into having a, sorry, all these tightly behaviors couple into sort of a cogent whole. So if I walk more during the day, I actually accumulate enough on exercise activity so that I want to fall asleep and I have sleep stress or sleep debt. So then I fall asleep and because I had good hours of sleep, I woke up and felt like I wanted to move more and I didn't need to eat a bunch of sugar and hit on the caffeine at four o'clock, which again, prevents me from sleeping. And then I drink a glass of wine because I'm not. And then we get into these, people don't understand how all of these behaviors interact, how, you know, if you're not sitting on the ground and looking at your hip range of motion, then your back may hurt. And if your back hurts, you definitely don't want to go move around. So how do we begin to skin that cat? And we have to do it inside the household in a way that makes it wholly possible for people to actually engage in these seismic behavior changes so that you don't end up, you go to your physician when you actually have disease that happens to humans. People do get sick. Things go wrong. You get cancer. And once in a while, you get hit by a car. That's what we should be using our physicians for instead of, all, you know, the things, you know. No, absolutely. And you hit on the the soda in uh, schools. It's something I've talked about. Again, this last couple of years, what an amazing opportunity to, I mean, you've got complete attention from most of the world. So what an amazing opportunity to say, all right, we're going to revamp the way we feed our kids. I mean, look at what Jamie Oliver did in the UK and tried to do here in the US, remove soda machines. So yeah, kids, you've got milk, you've got water, you've got, you know, some of the healthier juices, whatever it is, you can have other adjuncts that kids can drink, but you're not creating an environment that's educating our children don't move and take, you know, intake high caloric, you know, zero nutrition foods and, and drinks because that environment that we're creating is, is the, the baseline that we're showing our children. And if you've got that kind of behavior at home and that kind of behavior at school, then what, are, what is a kid going to think? I mean, they're going to be a product of their environment. So the, the, reduction in the PE classes and I think the motivation factor I don't know if you've seen that film um, is an amazing insight into what PE used to look like in the US versus what it looks like now but between that and what we're feeding our children and I've given my son a lunchbox since kindergarten he's now 15 years old almost 15 um, for that very reason but so talk to me about it. I kind of went off a kind of tangent there but what should we be seeing in our schools that create a better environment that therefore promote healthier nutrition and movement? Well, you hinted at something that Jamie Oliver took a swing at and which is what we call environmental constraint. So here's an example. When someone has a cerebral vascular accident, stroke, aneurysm, trauma, and they have one side that is not working as well, what we'll often do in therapy is constrain the less affected side. So if you can't use your left hand as well, suddenly we put your right hand in an oven mitt and tape it up so you can't actually use your right hand. We force you to do the hard thing and use your left hand because what ends up happening is it's called learned disuse and that there's a lot of learned disuse going on in the world where we just don't use these systems and they decay. And that environmental constraint is I don't think that people have the willpower to overcome serotonin, epinephrine, pleasure. There's a reason that porn and sugar and serotonin and phones, those things are, I mean, opiates, they all just hit on the things, the reward centers that allow us to stay alive, but they've been hijacked. 
by these gigantic tech companies, by soda. And again, may or may not be nefarious, right? And what we think to ourselves is, well, why aren't you just turning the TV off and putting the soda now? Well, that's really tricky to do. And it's a lot easier to not have that thing in the first place. So the first order of business is to set up your life and to set up the help people set up their lives so they don't have to make another choice. If the kid has a choice between sparkling water, water, and if they can tolerate milk or some other, you know, uh, appropriate beverage, in case you're, you know, happen to not be a white person who tolerate, you know, tolerates dairy, um, then the kids will reach for the thing that they can drink. You know, kids are thirsty; they'll drink water. And what do they say about, uh, you know, hunger is the best seasoning? You know, and um, you know, what we see, tend to see is. If I can hold out a little bit and get chicken McNuggets, I'll hold out and get chicken McNuggets because they are tasty. And who a 12-year-old has discipline and control? None. So you have to constrain the environment so the 12-year-old eats the things that are presented to the 12-year-old. Um, and the same thing is true about tech. The same thing is true about all these things. The key to understanding it is we, we have to look at these fundamental behaviors as not optional, that... You know, if you are in a system and you're 16 years old and, and super morbidly obese, the community has failed you. And it, again, and it may be that the family does not have the resources or the history of those things. And once again, I point at the community has failed you. And this is not trying to create a, a environment of victimhood, but to really look at the systemic challenges that face a lot of average people. And when you look at how many kids are involved with sports and then the dropout rates of the sports by 17. The fact that people's first exposure to PE is maybe their only exposure to sport and movement. And it's just, you know, it's a terrible experience that, you know, or we say that, you know, you're not going to graduate high school unless you can learn how to swing a kettlebell. I mean, that's really, really powerful. I don't care how many times you can swing it. You just have to demonstrate that you know how to do it. You know, the same way you have to develop competence, core competencies in writing and math and all those things. And we have, you know, interventions there. We're just not seeing the cost, but we will. If you think climate change is real and welcome to monkeypox 2.0, I mean, here it is. Um, if you think these things are problems, just wait until we really start to come face to face with what's going to end up looking like social justice or inequality, inequity around people's health. You know, you're going to see that healthy people are not stranded and bankrupt. And, you know, it's, it's going to be a, a matter of luck. So we're going to have to decide what kind of community do we want to live in. And if we flip this over and look at firefighters, I'm like, well, number one cause of firefighter death is not fires. It's not gunshots. We know exactly. So the first issue order of business is to say, hey, look, I don't have to take a, I just have to improve the people around me. You know, so maybe I start a walking group or we lift weights or we cook for each other once a week, or there's a lot of opportunity here. And as you pointed out earlier, and more importantly, the human being is ready to bounce back. And don't get me wrong, you're not going to get abs unless you really calorie restrict, but that's not what we're talking about here, about getting your blood pressure down, eating whole foods. Um, and there's plenty plenty of roads that lead to Rome there. Well, one area I think that's, that's not discussed very much in the first responder population is sleep deprivation. And when you look at what kills us, the top three are cancer, heart disease, and the top one at the moment is suicide. And when you look at 
what happens when you don't sleep and the hormonal disruption, it's behind all of those. Is it a sole contributor? Of course not, but it's a huge, huge contributor. Um, and I heard you just touch on sleep in one of the other episodes. I want to kind of expand a little bit because I've talked a lot on here about, you know, the acute element of sleep deprivation, the mistakes that we make and the wrecks on the roads and, you know, falling off roofs and all these kind of things. And then the acute, excuse me, the chronic element when it comes to the cancers and the heart diseases. But I think one thing that you don't hear discussed very much is the musculoskeletal injury element. So talk to me with all these high level athletes and, and operators in, in the military and all these, these, you know, amazing people that you've helped. What is the impact on that and on performance and injury when it comes to sleep deprivation? Let's, let's reframe this for a second. Remember that no system works in isolation. And every system is part of a, is a part of another system. We, in our, the reason I spend so much time in these high performance environments, um, you know, in three weeks, I'm flying to London to go, I've been working with Team England. Uh, I'm going to go watch them play uh, in, in Wolverhampton in the Premier League. The reason we work in these environments um, is because biomotor expression is the lab where if you don't sleep, you don't eat, you don't recover, you don't move well, you can't win championships. And what we know is that when we put the human being under the most stressful conditions, strain, stress, if we haven't controlled for those elements, we have people who cannot operate at the end and perform and play at the highest levels. So we have been using the high-level sport as a laboratory for a long time to try to understand processes that expose themselves under stressful conditions. And I know you feel like you're stressed at work, but you're not in the same level of stress as, as some of our high performers in, in their job. So what's nice then is we can say, hey, let's take those things and just apply them backwards. And what we end up doing is starting to create a series of sort of type one sort of foundational thinking components that we have to wrap our heads around if we're going to see real significant change. So in the physio community, there were some really prominent physios a few years ago used to you know, take the piss out of me because I would be like, if we want to get ahead of chronic pain, we need to talk about sleep. If we want to talk about muscle skeletal injury, we need to talk about sleep. And they would say things also like, you know, sleep doesn't matter. Or they'd say things like, we can't, we can't, you know, eliminate or pre prevent injuries. And I'm like, well, that's not what the data says. The data says that you're three times, four times more likely to get injured if you're sleep deprived. We know that in high school, we know that from finals, we know that from the time changes, right? All of these elements start to come up. Well, we also know that if you don't sleep, you can't perform. And um, I'm not talking about one night's sleep before a big event. That's just welcome to being a human being. And if you go to, you can sleep well with that, you're a sociopath. So, but what we end up doing is starting to be able to come up with reference numbers. And so just some nebulous thing. And we've taken this from our friends at uh, Naval Special Warfare, which is seven hours is what we call um, minimal viability. It means if you're getting seven hours or less, you are basically in survival mode and you should see it as survival mode. I'm not going to get leaner. I'm not going to get stronger. I'm not going to have good skill acquisition. I'm going to see decay in my, my decision-making all of the things that make you rad human are going to be suppressed because you got seven hours of sleep. You get less than six hours of sleep and you're going to be, you know, pre-diabetic for the next 24 to 48 hours. Like choose something you give a crap about. You'll see that it decays with sleep. Learning, you want your children to perform well on tests, make sure they get enough sleep. Seven hours is not enough. If you're trying to 
thrive as a human being, eight hours is our minimum. And I want people to hear this because you might need to be in bed for nine hours to get eight hours of sleep. So if you go to bed at 11, get up at seven, that's not eight hours of sleep. You're in the sevens because you woke up and you took a pee and you heard something and you turned over and you didn't fall asleep right away. And so the sleep disturbance is, is typical and normal. But if you're trying to change your body composition or learn or recover or get stronger, or you're a little child and you're trying to grow, that ends up being more closer to nine hours of sleep. And then what I'll ask you is go back and look at your sleep. Do your kids have their phone in the room? That's like bringing a bag of heroin right next to the bed and being like, don't touch the heroin, kids. Just don't do it. Don't do it. It's time, time to put the heroin down, Johnny. And what you're going to see is unless you pull the phone out of the room or have strict limits or make sure that you've trained your kids into handling this, you're not going to get the kinds of sleep. And then what we have is a type one error, foundational error, and we can't understand anything that's happening down the line because the system is under so much strain. Why aren't you progressing on this program? Why aren't you learning this skill? Why are you not losing body weight? I can't tell because you aren't sleeping. So again, let me just say it. Be a newborn, work shift job, you know, something stressful happened. You're not going to get seven hours of sleep. That's okay. You're a human being. You're going to, but you got to be like, holy crap, I got to get back on this as soon as I can. And that means I need to lay off the alcohol before I go to bed. I got to get off the caffeine on those days where I'm sleep deprived, maybe by noon, maybe by four o'clock, the latest. And I need to walk around enough so I'm actually fatigued enough that I can go to sleep. And I set all the conditions. So when people ask Juliet and I about our routines, we do everything around sleep. And then we just backtrack through the day to set up our sleep because when we control and protect our sleep, everything is better in our lives. So with, for example, the fire service where every third day at the moment, a lot of these departments, I, mean, I just spoke to one of my friends this morning and he did a 48. So he picked up an extra shift to, to help out someone who was going to be forced to stay there and uh, basically hadn't slept for two days straight. So let's say best case scenario, you don't get told you can't go home. 24 hours you're awake the whole time and then you go back so that's a second day you've been awake for eight hours already um and then yeah that third day you're getting ready to go back to work with that happening through my very white belt eyes i see it nearly impossible to not experience an injury over a career as a firefighter i myself had a back injury i tore meniscus on both knees you know and did yoga and do did a lot of other things that you know I think we're far you know, coming from a, a, a place of higher education than a lot of people because I went to, to university and I was an athlete and I was a coach um, and still got hurt. <laughs> so yeah, you know, that's right. what I'm trying to do is get my profession to understand how detrimental working these men and women like we do at the moment. And the big thing is just giving them more time off in between. The average firefighter work week is 56 hours being awake every third day so you know through that eyes i mean what is the likelihood of getting hurt when you are not sleeping every third day oh, very high higher or being more sensitive how about this let's define injury injury and getting hurt means that i can occupy my role in my family can occupy my role in my job can occupy my role in society that's an injury it's a medical emergency Pain is not a medical emergency. So we're clear. If you have pain that interrupts your ability to do your job, it's a medical emergency. So the chances of you getting injured are real and go through the roof and the, all the statistics bear that. But the chances of you experiencing greater sensitivity, that your body is tweaky, your brain thinks everything is a threat, 
that that knee that you tweak back in, you know, college playing footy, suddenly that hurts, you know, after sitting, what you're going to see is that you just have a body that's less tolerant for silly bullshit. And that suddenly starts to aggregate. And I don't want to move. My knee hurts. Right. That may, I mean, I compensate around it. There can be a whole lot of complicated behaviors here, but what we have to do is maybe potentially start from a different position. I have decided to take this, my career in that career, the way we currently set it up. If we don't have any agency to change ultimately how we're, we, we're not giving people enough time off, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, already there's a knock on firefighters that they work barely and then they, you know, have six high hot side, you know, hustles. I mean, we, we hear it. We have a lot of firefighter friends. What we start with is what can we control for? And part of the rest, the, the, the duty of the job, if you play in the NFL, the injury rate is hundred percent. So let's just say that if you're going to be a firefighter, the injury rate is going to be hundred percent. And that means also when you come through fire Academy, when you're off, you have to get sunlight exposure. You have to manage your sleep, but that's not what happens. When we're off, we try to pack the rest of it in. So if I look at the number amount of sleep you're getting on your off days, what I'll see is, wow, I have a stressed human being who's not sleeping. And that may be because it's really difficult to get back on a circadian rhythm. That's true. But it also means that you're not taking it seriously in your off days because you're trying to be a human being. And boy, that seems really reasonable to me. And you're 22. And does it really even matter? Because you're 22 and you can eat pizza and still do more pull-ups than me. So number one is we have to start with an assumption that we can't control for all variables, but we can control for a lot more than we currently do. And maybe we can get further. And maybe we, instead of Marine Force Recon retiring on full disability, uh, 80%, maybe we can get that down to 60% right? Because injuries are going to happen. And that means we better have better health care and better rehab. And because that's the nature of the job. That's okay. We, we can make that decision. We're big boys and girls. But on the other hand, we need to also empower people to say, that means that your sensitivity and likelihood is going to be increased because of the nature of the job. So what are you doing to mitigate that at home? Are you eating food? Are you, do you feel loved? Are you just drinking and, you know, you know, using THC and hitting any break that you can to, to be able to hit the brakes. And until we give people a different set of strategies, they will reach for or be prescribed the strategies um, that, that work for them. You know, the dirty secret in the military is Adderall and Ambien. You know, how's that work? You know, and, and if you're like, that's crazy. Well, let me introduce you to professional sports where Adderall and Ambien were the, the regular, you know, if you, and if, I don't know if you've taken 20 or 30 milligrams of Adderall, but it's difficult to sleep. So you have to take two Ambien and then it's difficult to wake up after two Ambien. So you take a bunch of Adderall. And for the average person, that's called stimulant depressant cycling. That means you're reaching for the, the bourbon, the beer, the wine to make yourself feel better because you're feel crazy. And in the morning, you're having 16 cups of coffee and a five-hour energy drink because, man, you slept like crap. And so now I can't even tell if the, the primary stressor of your job is the primary stressor or not. Because on the other end, no one's taught you or showed you that if you control for these things, you can actually feel better in your days off. Yeah, and I think just like we we spoke of before, there's the ownership element, which is us on our days off. And you know, for example, if we do have a side gig, not taking it as a you know night shift in the ER or a private ambulance. Um, but then it's also the environment. And right now, the way the fire service is set up is like soda machines in schools. And what I'm pushing for is okay, you admire all these high level athletes, figure out how much time they spend not sleeping. 
that's what you need to try and replicate as closely as possible because at 3 a.m. you're going to be climbing a ladder into someone's apartment window, pulling their child out, and then working an algorithm to try and save their life. And that's not who you want overworked and underslept. How about this? Someone's going to fall off their toilet at 3 a.m. and not be able to get off, and you're going to have to get up and twist and be in a position where you've gone from zero to 60, having to pick up a 300-pound person off the toilet and get them down the stairs. That is much re- more, you know, the number one reason that we're seeing back injuries in the pararescue was that in the Air Force was that getting the litter out of the helicopter was the scariest, gnarliest jet thing that they were doing. I mean, yes, that job is very dangerous, but getting the, he- the, the litter out of the helicopter, that is sketchy business right there. And, you know, so how, again, how do we control for this? And then let's start with the assumption that I think we can, that the nature of the job, the human beings are really tough and really durable but we have to have this culture. And that means we need to start making decisions. So you're not allowed to bring cakes in to work. We don't do that. You know, what we do is we bring huge trays of fruit and vegetables. And if you, I've never, ever seen someone OD on apples. I've never seen anyone, but if I don't cut up the apple, no one eats the apple. But if I suddenly cut up the apple and they're in these beautiful trays, everyone's like, oh, smash a bunch of apples. Oh, look at all these berries. I mean, what you see is the same thing that you, for your own self at home. And we start to, you know, have a culture where people are like, dude, I, we're in a team group on our whoop or our ordering. And I'm like, bro, look at your HRV. What the hell? You're showing up for work and you're not prepared because you've been smashing yourself out of here. This is, this is going to, this is not cool. And I don't care if it's the, the pressure of the group. What, this is why we train, we have training partners. This is why we, because no person can do it by herself. No person can do it by themselves. It is impossible for you to be a monk in those situations. You have to be in a group and just end up doing the right thing. If everyone, you go out to dinner and everyone orders pizza, you're like, let's order pizza. If everyone goes out and they're like, hey, I would love you know, these, this meat and vegetables and a little side of rice, you know you, you'll not order pizza. You're gonna order what everyone else orders otherwise you're gonna feel like a jerk. You know, everyone's like, hey, I'll, I'll just have a soda water. And you're like, give me a 20 ounce margarita. You're not going to do it. So we know that humans work in that way and take those con- contextual cues. Someone just has to start. And eventually people, you know, they're like, man, I don't feel good. I don't know what this is. My relationships with my wife or my partner aren't going very well. And I wonder why. Well, you haven't slept and you're inflamed, you know, you know, stressed human. Of course, you're not going to, all, all those things are going to be, uh, are going to matter. And what I'll tell you, and you seniors out there who've been doing it for a minute, you know, what's cool about some of my favorite organizations and sports is that the old guys, old girls have figured out this is how they're continue to play. And the young kids coming in are like, I want that. I want to be able to play forever. What is it that that person's doing? Oh, they, they do a little recovery. They do a little heat. They have a massage therapist. They eat food. You know, that's pretty remarkable when we have this culture of senior leadership and the sort of the, you know, the, the captains and the majors start to do the thing. Then all the lieutenants come through and they're like, hey, what's that? And then pretty soon that's what we say. This is how we do it. This is how it's always been done. And then it's not a conversation. Someone has to start first. Absolutely. And so, uh, you know, leadership, the leadership from the front, you know, I mean, you got to walk the walk if you're going to going to be on the, the podium telling what everyone wants to do. And sadly, in the fire service, we have a lot of people that 10, 20 years in are not walking the walk anymore. And there's an environmental element that we've discussed, but there's also an ownership element. And if you're going to be a leader, then you have to walk the walk. One of the things that we've seen is um, we had a lot of 
young lieutenants that I worked with, young captains in the military. And 10 years later, they're majors and lieutenant colonels and they're in charge. And it takes a minute to change culture. So let me give you a small example. I have a daughter uh, who's rising senior. She's gonna be a senior in like another week or so. She's captain of the water polo team. But when she came on, she ended up playing varsity as a freshman, pretty good water polo player. And uh, she got, she's her mother's child. And she, they had a terrible culture where she wasn't welcomed in because she was a freshman. All the seniors were clicky. You know, they didn't, they didn't do a whole bunch of extra things. It was just a bad culture. And Georgia really felt frustrated with the culture. And it's like, you're, you're a freshman. You don't have any voice. You just need to shut up and do the best you can and control what you can control. But when it's your team, it's then it will fall on you to develop this culture. And already she's like, we're playing pools and we're going to do these barbecues and we're, we're, you know, making these shirts and everyone's going to get the same shoe. And this is what we're training. And, 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 you know, and as a junior, she just brought in all the freshmen who are superstars and she guarded them and protected them. And that's the mindset that we have to have that when it's my turn and I'm in that leadership position, I will have agency and control and it'll be on me. And that may take 10 years in a leadership in a, in a, in a system. In the meantime, control what you can control. And remember, you know, we, we have this idea that human beings are fragile and we're not. If you understood how much sugar and shit you ate and how poorly you moved and how took, and that your body still bounced back and you still had abs. I mean, you shouldn't take your dinner, your body out for dinner. You are so resilient. I think it's impossible. It's difficult for us to appreciate how long it takes to put us into disease, injury, and, and catastrophe does happen. I mean, people do, you know, I've talked to plenty of my firefighter friends who've fallen through roofs and they, you know, they just step through and the, the roof collapsed and, you know, there's their ACL. That, that happens plenty, but that's not the things we can control for. So we can control for what we can control for. And on the other side of that, if you do get injured, turns out if you're really strong and have a practice and aren't inflamed and sleep well, you can bounce back from that injury and it becomes less of a catastrophe absolutely well i mean i rehabbed both of my knees um after surgery had the meniscus snipped and was back to full duty again and then the back injury i did without any surgery i found foundation training eric goodman's practice and that, oh, that's great yeah that was amazing and that was what got me through so i when i retired from the fire service it was a zero disability even though you know, on paper, I probably could have claimed some, but we don't even have that kind of coverage anyway in the fire and, and police. It's like, bye-bye. Um, but it kind of brings me to another point I wanted to talk to you about. I just hit 48 years old in March and I have abs. And the, immediately I was thinking about all the kind of posts like, oh, you know, look at me, I'm 48 and I've still got abs kind of bullshit. And so what I did instead was did a video like, all right, this is what it really feels like. 48 you know retired firefighter this is what my knees feel like this is you know how i've got to protect my back and it made me realize and i'm kind of on this journey now um that a lot of men especially in their i would say 40s of all of a sudden told you this is when you gotta lift heavy this is when you're gonna get a mass because then you're gonna you know you're gonna need it as you age and i call bullshit on that whole thing i think this is the age where most of us need to take a step back and look as you talked about before what hurts what's inflamed what's tweaky and start affecting that because if you've been an athlete most of your life you should have a good base of strength you should have a good base of of cardio and I think it's the injuries and the imbalances and immobilities that are really holding us back. So, you know, talk to me 
if if any of that resonates with you and if so you know what are we doing wrong with our with our middle-aged men and women especially if they're in the professions that we're in well let me say that i am a fellow 48 year old turning 49 this year and i do appreciate that i was just walking with my jacked wife uh who is a three-time world champion two-time cancer survivor um and you know we were walking we walked to the farmer's market yesterday you know, and walk back and it's like a 5k each way. And, uh, you know, it was really hot yesterday. She rips off her shirt, you know, she's wearing a sports bra and she's just flexing her vanity abs everywhere. And I'm like, you know what? You have two children. I'm like, you are a bitch, you know, just like, <laughs> I can't believe, you know, I am like fat bald guy and you just get more jacked at the age. And she's like, you know, we're laughing about this. She's like, you know, I'm like, you are the face of 50 girl. And she's like, if people understood that I've been lifting weights and breathing hard since I was 13, they wouldn't, they would be like, oh, wow, I had no idea. You know, she was a rower in high school. She's been lifting me. It takes so long. And simultaneously, we're not free of injury and trauma. And I think the thing that we train for now, because we came out of definitely early, you know, I, I paddled on the U.S. Canoe kayak team. I paddled on two national teams, different kinds of national teams in different sports. Um, I have to tell you that I, my ego is ready to go all the time. But now I am hyper-focused on not being the strongest guy in the room, but having the healthiest tissues in the room and being the most rested in the room. And it, you know, it turns out that that really is, I mean, if you want a fast track to losing weight uh, and losing muscle mass, losing capacity, just injure yourself. Go ahead. Just let me know how that goes for you. I mean, you're going to be like, holy moly, this is really difficult to manage my body composition and, and keep my hamstrings and butt strong. There are techniques and tools now. So Juliet and I train to be durable. We, and we realize is that, you know, we actually are strong enough. Look, if you're a 45 year old man, you never done a, you can't do 10 pushups. There's some baselines we can work towards that are very simple. You can't do a pull-up. Cool. Well, well, we know that there's some beginner gains there. We're going to enjoy the crap out of those beginner gains. Um, but for the rest of us who've been doing this, exactly what you're saying, you know, there's some things we can do. We can slow down some of your training movements. I just saw this 76-year-old do an incredible back squat, like 400-plus pounds back squat. And one of the things that I loved about powerlifting for older people is that it allows us, our athletes of older age, to have a really controlled range of motion, be under relatively large loads, and have very controlled ranges. So what that tells me is that if we start to control for some speed, I can that's the first thing I start to pull back on with some of my athletes who are aging. I'm like, Hey, we'll get your speed in the sports that you're training. And don't get me wrong. We're still going to jump rope and hop and, and play pickleball and those things. But we'll, instead of Olympic lifting or adding the speed and jerking with the, you know, we'll go ahead and strict press and we'll do tempo box squats. We'll slow the speed down. So it gives those tissues, which aren't necessarily shiny and perfect anymore, a chance to be in the best shapes, gives your brain a chance to own that position. And we can put you under enough time under tension to make a difference. So I pull speed down and I also pull movement ranges down, especially if you don't have that range. So if I need to smash you, and really work on your power, I introduce you to the assault bike, which has this little tiny range of motion window, or we push sleds where I can control your speed and have you be able to sort of access some of these positions and shapes without really messing yourself up. Simultaneously, there are so many other things we can do to make sure you have your range of motion. There's things that we can do to make sure that your tissues are healthy and manageable. 
We also have this thing called blood flow restriction training, which if you have never gotten into BFR training, welcome this podcast just changed your life. Go to at occlusion cuff. They're just my friends. I don't make any money from them at occlusion cuff, the best cuffs on the market, the cheapest cuffs on the market. And at 20% loads, 20% of your one rep max loads with the occlusion cuffs on, we can see increased muscle mass, changes in VO2, changes in, in performance, changes in, in testosterone levels and growth hormone, just by occluding the limbs for 30 seconds on, 30 seconds off for five minutes. Suddenly I'm like, holy moly, you got an old knee problem? I'm gonna get you pumped with blood, then we're gonna squat. I'm gonna get you arms full of blood and then we're gonna do our bench press. And suddenly we have these tools where I can be putting in more zone two work into your training. I can be having, getting these bodybuilding pumps on to keep muscle mass on, control your range, and we can continue to move forward forever. But all we've done is simplified the program. Do you need to do muscle ups as a 50 year old man? Cool if you can, and if that's your sport, do it. But you do not need to do muscle ups to be a rad human being. Instead, we're gonna work on tempo dips. <laughs> we're gonna work on floor pressing to limit your crappy missing internal rotation of your shoulder. And what we suddenly realize is that, that it's much better for us to be more consistent in the volume and the recovery and the tissue health than it is to go smash yourself. And you and you let's be honest, the things you're doing, you're still training like you're 23. You roll off the couch, you're like, let's go lift heavy. And you're not hot and sweaty. You don't haven't touched your range of motion and you're old. So it just takes a second longer to get that system on board. But I think you are hundred percent right. We also ask for anyone in their forties to get a blood panel. Let us look under the hood and make sure we're not lying and missing some things. If you are, have been a firefighter who has been um, sleep deprived your whole life. Um, and then you're starting to engage in some healthy behaviors, but you've been head trauma, like you have had concussions, um, you may not make any testosterone. And if we're trying to keep your, your, your body together and we have we'll do a hormone panel and it turns out for all of these reasons that you're, you maybe HRT, you know, hormone replacement therapy is right for you or testosterone replacement therapy in conjunction with actually doing the work on the other things. Because what we're realizing is, man, if you don't have any vitamin D, I can't tell what's going on. If you don't have any V vitamins, I can't tell what's going on. If you're, you know, if you're all your blood markers are out of whack, what are we talking about? So let's go ahead and leverage all of these systems and start playing the game for the next 50 years. Yeah, well, sadly, I'm seeing an epidemic of HRT use. And, you know, this is before addressing sleep. And that's the issue. Oh, is that, yeah. yeah. So these doctors are jumping on it like, well, you got you know, low T. So here we go, 28-year-old. And, you know, now, by the way, your balls are going to shrink and you're never going to be able to get off this stuff again. So it's such a powerful thing. It's funny because you described me, I, you know, 14 years in the fire service, a combat athlete. So, yeah, all the all the things. But once I transitioned off shift and i have to have blood work done again recently but um you know i think the last time i did was when i was off with my knee injury and my my t was still up in the 500s so you know you can also as we said the body is resilient if if it's only sleep deprivation if we can get these men and women the sleep and the rest and recovery they need we can reverse that without any hrt and then as you touched on if that's not working then of course hrt is an invaluable tool but what you've seen and what we witnessed in the military was people putting these huge testosterone pellets in their butt going off to war with, you know, test is 200. That's a problem. And we haven't addressed anything else. And as soon as you jam a bunch of testing system, the whole system backs up. And now you start to see 
you, know, you cannot cheat your physiology. And at some point, you can optimize your physiology. But boy, there's a whole bunch of behaviors. And once again, I will submit to you, are you walking? Do you get hot and cold? Are, how are you eating? You know, are, are you sleeping? And the answer is typically not because I didn't know or um, I didn't know until now or I haven't set it up so I make better choices. You know, and, I, and again, Juliet and I understand that most people, including us, are very stressed. You know, Juliet and I have a big business. We have a whole bunch of people that you know get paid because they work for us and they feed their families that way. And we have two children. And, you know, it's not like we sit around and write in our gratitude journal and hang out. Like, you know, we, we're really busy, busy users and we don't have time to, uh, you know, live a perfect lifestyle. We, we have set up our world to control for what we can control. And we have to start making that decision, which means, for example, we don't drink during the week. You know, we stopped drinking because we found that it just wrecked our sleep so much, you know, that we were like, we can't, you know, when Juliet has a drink and we love a margarita, don't get us wrong. A margarita is really like proof of God's intelligence. So we'll have a margarita and Juliet's, you know, heart rate variability will be off and her sleep score will be off for two days from one drink. And uh, that's a, a, a compromise that we say, for example, well, let's drink when we're rested and drink when we're celebrating. Let's drink when we're on vacation. And then let's not drink when we're stressed because we can't buffer very well. Absolutely. Yeah, I'm terrible. But my body hates alcohol. If I don't have a long period of abstinence, then there's you know two or three days in a row and I'm, I'm getting migraines, all kinds of stuff. I want to touch on one thing so I can be mindful of your time. Um, I started CrossFit 0607, so pretty early in, in the whole kind of um, you know timeline. And I've seen- Yes, very early. Yeah. So as, as an athlete and a coach, and I've seen, you know, the, the ebbs and flows and, you know, where we've, we as a community have learned from, you know, previous years. And I think where we're at now is, is incredibly exciting. There's a real understanding, you know, I think of mobility, of, um, you know, muscle balance and all these other areas. Talk to me, if you don't mind, about what that journey has been through the PT lens. Cause I know I've heard you talk on, on, um, some of the things that you spoke about early supple leopard days, you've kind of, you know, um, metamorphosis has happened with that. So what are some of the things that have changed? And then we'll kind of transition into the ready state so people actually have tools to take away from this conversation. You know, when Juliet and I, we opened the 21st affiliate, CrossFit affiliate in 2005, San Francisco CrossFit. And what we discovered then was that no one was very strong, no one was very conditioned, and no one was very skilled. And we were all protected by that. People, there used to be a mascot in CrossFit named Pukey the Clown because people would come into a CrossFit workout one of the first times and they would vomit. And that was crazy. I've never thrown up during a workout, but that's crazy. And one of the things that happened over the course of CrossFit, P90X, um, Peloton, you know, all of these F45, right? Orange Theory, Barry's Bootcamp is that high intensity is here and people are starting to be exposed to it. And all of a sudden, everyone stopped vomiting, which is, which is great. If you're a gym owner, that's really great. And um, so people were less surprised by having suddenly very high blood lactate levels because they weren't, we weren't working at high intensity. But one of the things that we found was that we were all protected by our lack of skill, our lack of strength, our weakness, Right. We just weren't exposed to a lot. So the first time you picked up a kettlebell, you know, you weren't, you couldn't, you weren't very effective with it. First, you know, 
when you when the first time I did a workout called Isabel, which is snatching 60 kilos 30 times, I didn't know if I could complete it. Snatching 60 kilos 30 times? Are you serious? Are you talking about muscle snatch under five minutes? What, 90 seconds? I mean, it's that's not a thing. So the world has changed remarkably. When I first time I ever did a workout called Fight Gone Bad, I think I got like a 330. And I, out of 100 people, I was like the ninth fittest person in the room. And people were like, how'd you break 300? I'm like, well, I'm elite. You know, now <laughs> 350 is like, if you're a 13-year-old girl, I expect you to get, you know, 350, you know? And if you're a varsity kid, you get 400. And so the world has changed. But we weren't ready. The first thing in order of business was to become more skilled and become fitter and stronger. Okay, so now we can have the next conversation because you can buy a kettlebell at Target now, right? You can, you, you know, the, you go onto Amazon and you can have a whole gym delivered to your house and, you know, uh, in 24 hours. So that has changed. And when we started this thing, no one was really talking about position as a component to training. And what Juliet and I found early on was that in our PT practice is that people who were running in who had pain were also missing incomplete positioning. And sometimes it was other things. But when we started controlling for health, lifestyle, we started controlling for returning people's range of motion, we back to normative ranges, the range every physician, every physical therapist agrees is normal. You can't put your arm over your head. You're leaving power on the table for doing pull-ups and pressing. And you're going to compensate around that incomplete position. And that compensation at speed and load and repetition is going to maybe sensitize a tissue or maybe expose you to a torn labrum. I can't say for sure, but there's a pattern where I can definitely say you can't do what you're supposed to be able to do as a human. That's costing you reps. That's costing you pounds. So when we restored your position to focus on range of motion and power output, well, it turned out we got a lot more durable people. And we got a lot more pain reduction in the bargain in a really powerful way. But what was novel for Juliet and I were saying, well, why didn't you know this? So wh why, why didn't, why didn't anyone show you that you couldn't get your hand to your face? You know, you bent your elbow up and your triceps was so stiff. You were having a wrist and neck problem, but it's because your elbow couldn't bend. So we started teaching people what normal was. And we started putting position back into the language of the athlete the language and responsibility of the coach. And guess what? We started to see people go faster. We started people seeing people realize they didn't have to have doms, that they could do more volume. And that really ended up being a, a turning point in strength and conditioning because people, you know, I would basically the old model, and this is the old model, train until you got injured, maybe you did some warm up, stretch, whatever that was, which no one did. And then when you got injured, you went and saw the physio and hopefully you went a little further next time. And then you got back and forth from this physio language that had nothing to do with your training, these low level rehab exercises until you got pain-free. And then you went right back to the thing you're doing instead of making position, the athlete's responsibility and the coach's responsibility. So suddenly we had a way of diagnosing incomplete positions and lack of skill that was called, here's your position. Let's challenge that position with load and speed and cardiorespiratory demand and metabolic demand and movement, 
demand. So you're going to go from one movement to the other, right? And then I'm going to make you compete and have some stress. And you couldn't hide who you were. So when you started to flare your elbows in the bench press or your knees started to cave in because you were fatigued at low loads at 65 pounds, your knees are coming in. I'm like, whoa, we see a fundamental breakdown in your ability to maintain stable shapes, I mean, express good because of your lack of skill under these conditions. So fast forward a little bit suddenly, and we realized, man, people don't know how they're getting really sophisticated about how to eat and how to train, but they don't know how to restore their range of motion, take care of their tissues, recover so they can do more work. And that's really what we've been seeing as the, as the change. And now you'll see all the best athletes in the world, Tia's voodoo flossing and Matt Frazier's using our techniques to keep his hips open. And Rich, the best athletes in the world are obsessing on position and obsessing on technique. And what we realize is that if we had a movement language that we could regress and progress, then we didn't necessarily need a whole bunch of corrective exercises. We needed what I called position transfer exercises, which are mobilizations. I do a mobilization to restore a position that I can't restore from just squatting. And then boom, I go squat. And that suddenly created a, a real window of performance gains. And Julia and I continue to challenge our model. We created a model called the archetype model which helps us identify root positions and the tissue sort of lay, what should be happening in a, in a movement chain and a movement position so that you suddenly view any, any position where the hip is an extension as a, like a lunge. And suddenly you're like, Oh, I see that all of these like running and lunging and stepping up on a box, all of these things have similar sort of root DNA. So let's make sure that you have the components to that. And then we keep testing that model in as many environments and in many sports and as many positions and shapes and conditions as you can model, you know, model or think of. I mean, choose an Olympic sport, choose a pro sport, choose an austere community, choose a, an Olympic sport. We are there working with them, you know. And what's happening now is that we have an understanding of a way of simplifying complex movement, complex movement behavior, so that Coaches can speak the language, athletes can speak the language, physios can speak the language, and maybe we can actually get to the bottom of what human beings are really capable of, not be sidetracked by something stupid. Absolutely. Well, I know you have you know, the app now, so talk to people about the ready state, where they can find it, and what that would look like to an individual. So, you know, just like if you're initiating a conversation with someone about training or food. We don't jump right into vitamins. We're like, hey, it's a fruit. It's a vegetable. Can you identify a fruit and a vegetable? Do you eat fruits and vegetables? Let's start there, right? So like my favorite nutrition intervention is eat this much protein, whatever we think it is, right? Somewhere between 0.8 and a gram per pound body weight. And then we're like over here, let's see if we can eat 800 grams of fruits and vegetables a day. And then just let me know how, how hungry you are after eating 800 grams of broccoli and a whole watermelon. I guarantee you're going to be stuck. So that's our simple way in. And the simple way in for us is saying, well, what hurts? What's stiff? Why don't you get on this ball and this roller and let's begin a conversation with your tissues? And if they are painful to compression, we found a spot where we can work. So I haven't even put in nutrition timing or fueling or, right? I, I've kept that super simple. And on this side, let's begin a conversation about just making sure that your tissues sort of irrespective of positions begin to be able to tolerate or sliding and gliding or are, are well perfused, that they're desensitized. We can get a lot of bang for the buck there. So on the Ready State app, we have what we call daily maintenance. So there's a 10, a 20, and a 30-minute daily maintenance program that I, I program and lead. All you need is a ball and a roller and no skill. 
do it in the evening before you go to the bed. Don't do it at gym. Don't do it like in the morning. Just do it in the evening because no one's doing anything in the evening. They're watching TV and hang out. So get on the floor, roll around for 10 minutes, call it good, get the rest of it tomorrow. Then we can start to expand out. We have a mobility test on the app, which I think is the best mobility test in the world because I designed it and I've seen everyone's work and I saw all the holes and all the thinking. And, you know, I saw mobility tests from 20 years ago that I thought were amazing, but we've just updated them. And that can begin a language of you starting to think about, well, if you know what normative blood pressure is and you know what normative temperature is, and you know what your respiration rate is, why can't you know what normal hip flexion is? So we started that conversation of saying, why can't you do that? This is normal range of motion for a human being. Why? Let's get you back to that normative range. And here's some techniques to get there. Then we can, you know, noodle on technique and, and et cetera, et cetera. So the app um, is called the Ready State app. And right now it's called the Virtual Mobility Coach. Pretty soon we're, it will be called the Supple Leopard app. And you, you can jump into our Supple Leopard program. And... What we're trying to initiate is that, look, we appreciate that you come from diverse backgrounds. We'll meet you where you are. We don't know how much experience you have, but if you have a, some LaCroix cans taped together, if you have a baseball, you can begin to improve how your tissues work. You know, uh, I've been, Julie and I are huge cyclists. Uh, we love to mountain bike. We live in mountain bike capital of the world. We mountain bike. I work with Specialized. Um, we ride and ride and ride. But guess what? When I ride, my adductors and groin get super stiff. And my pelvic floor starts to get super stiff and my back aches because riding a bike is really weird. And in front of the Today Show yesterday or whatever the morning, I was watching the World Cup downhill, I'll be honest. It was uh, on, because I have a bunch of riders there. And I just sat on my roller on my coffee table, scrubbing the crap out of my hamstrings, getting my adductors while I watched the downhill world cup on Red Bull TV. And guess what? I was like, Oh, I feel better. Everything doesn't hurt anymore. And, and all I did was restore, reset, recover, whatever word you want to use, put the input in to normalize that experience on the bike. And it took me 10 minutes. And when we start to see athletes who know how to self-soothe when something aches, remember pain is a request for change. Pain is a request for input or trying to change behavior. So let me give you an example. I have a 13-year-old daughter who is pretty good at water polo. She's a goalie. She's 5'10", age 13. She's a monster. She goes to this Olympic water polo training camp at the Olympic Training Center last, uh, last winter break. And they did like 11 or 13 sessions in four days. Like it's an insane amount of volume for a 13-year-old. But all the national team coaches are there. All the superstar Olympians are there. Kids are playing. So she is a goalie. She throws the ball 1,000 times down the long toss. And guess what happens when you just take a 13-year-old girl who goes from playing some to playing, you know, doing 13 sessions in four days. So her, her throwing shoulder starts to hurt. So what does she do? She's, someone's like, she gets out of the pool during one of the sessions, second day. And uh, one of the, you know, coaches like, go talk to the physio. And the physio hands are a bag of ice. And my daughter looks at her and is like, that's, that's your solution. Thanks. I'm good. Gives her the ice back, goes up to her room. She has gua sha. So she does a little scraping. She puts on this thing called a Mark Pro, which helps her decongest, right? Gets that tissue down. So she decongests all night long. She does end range isometrics. And then she rolls in front of her shoulder with a little soft tissue work. That's what she did. She's 13, non-specific. Where's it hurt? Da, da, da. Maybe, maybe she, her dad is pretty good at this. She shows up, has no pain, plays the rest of the tournament because she recognizes that this is part of being an athlete 
that things are going to hurt. Your brain's going to ask you to pay attention to things. That's not a bug. That's a feature. But what we do is say, here's some ice. Here's some ibuprofen. Let's ignore it. No pain. Go back to what you're doing. Instead of saying your body is asking for specific issues. So oftentimes when people come to us, they're coming to us for either just, I want to recover. I want to enhance my recovery and do more volume or I'm in pain. For us, those are just the same side of the coin, right? And the other side of the coin is, you know, injury prevention, power. But really what we realize is when we start to treat pain, just like loss of wattage, or if you and I go play tennis and uh, you suck today, I'm like, why do you suck? You suck today. And you're like, well, I didn't sleep and I got a fight. I have a newborn and I pulled this double shift and I ate a bunch of pizza. I'm like, oh, okay, no problem. But if you show up to and you're like, your back hurts, you're like, I'm like, what's the matter? You're like, your back hurts. And you're like, I think I have a, I have a slip disc in quotation marks. I must have back cancer. I, I don't know. I should go get an MRI. Instead, we want you to treat that pain as the same level of information as sucking. Like can't access my position, poor wattage, poor poundage, poor output, poor time, ran slow. You should treat this pain as the same level of information. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for that. So that's on the the um, app stores. So what about the website? Where can people find you there? We are at the ready state and tons of information. We have a first aid kit on there. We have challenges. We have courses. We have specific protocols for common musculoskeletal problems. Um, we're about to start our next uh, movement challenge. We have a, it's our third squat challenge on in June. I think it's June 6th, June 9th we start. And it's 14 days of programming. It's for members. Um, but I take you through environmental behaviors, basic mobilizations to give you a, a snapshot of improving some, one of your foundational movements. It's 14 days of programming to sort of get you onboarded into uh, feeling better, moving better. And ultimately, it's not that complicated. It's really not. I just want people to understand. You start to do the few things that are going to work for you. Bob's your uncle. Beautiful. Well, firstly, I'm going to sign up for the app. Um, I've got Supple Leopard, and I actually gave my son this yesterday. He he now oh, is a excellent. track athlete in his high school. So I'm like, I think I've got the perfect book for you. So he's going to be learning again environmentally, going to give him some more tools. Um, but uh, you know, this is the journey I'm on now. I, I've had uh, Ben Patrick on the show, so I do his knees over toes exercises. As I said, Eric. Goodman, I truly attribute to saving my career. Um, but I've had your stuff for a long time. But now with the app and the videos and everything all in one place, I'm going to jump on that because I have pronation of my accelerator foot, my gas pedal foot that has definitely jacked up my knees. And, you know, I've got a, I've just found out I broke my clavicle 20 years ago in a stunt show. I didn't realize I knew it hurt a lot, but now I know why. So I've got all these, <laughs> these things that I'm discovering. So I myself oh, will be taking you're part. You're a human being. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's okay. Look, you should be ridden hard and put away wet. And then you just need some input and no system doesn't work. And remember, let's, let's value sleep and some soft tissue. They're all the same. Just what, what's the right combination? More importantly, what's the minimum combination so that you can go back and be useful so that you can continue to play and do whatever you want to do. You know, I'm about to go whitewater kayaking this year. Uh, last year, um, for my before I turned 48, before I turned 48, you know, I went to Africa and knocked off a huge river on the paddle the Zambezi with my mates, had huge water flows. You know, the idea here is I want you to become and realize as you start to get older, um, you are your most powerful, most skilled self, right? And you have health insurance and you can afford better chicken. So all of that 
can contribute to you being able to actually leverage that. You know, one of my good friends is a guy named Laird Hamilton, the surfer who's exactly 10 years older than I am. And I would say that Laird is the best surfer he's ever been. Can he tolerate the silliness? Do his ankles, can he get into shapes and positions when he was 20? Of course not. But he is so skilled and so capable now because he's been surfing for 60 years. So let's start to view that way that right now is the time to really leverage the fact that you are a really competent mover and a really skilled, experienced person. Now's not the time to hit the brakes. Now's the time to hit the gas. Beautiful. That's the perfect place to end. I appreciate you being so generous with your time today. Um, there's been you know, so much I pulled out from it. We didn't get to your backstory at all because I realized that that wasn't, you know, there wasn't time for that and to pull the, the new things out that I wanted to. So I just want to say thank you so much again for being so generous and, uh, you know, speaking to the first responder and military audience today. We'll see you guys again and girls and people. 